Father in heaven, we want to thank you today that we could be here for this very important class. We realize, we, we somehow understand deep within our heart that in spite of our learning, in spite of our talent, without the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, no one would ever be converted. And so we pray that you would help us to understand, in spite of that biblical truth, how it is that you want us to prepare. Uh, so thank you for being with our class today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm just going to throw it open to you as we begin. Uh, if indeed it's all about the power of the Holy Spirit, why should we even have this class? I mean, there's many classes you could have gone to, and I would have enjoyed going to some of the classes about this time too. Should we just get up now and say, well, we're going to go to another class in this, in this uh, building. Uh, why is it that we spend time on how to be a better preacher, communicator of the gospel, a person who would ask for and receive appeals, if it's all about the power, which it is, of the Holy Spirit anyhow? What, do you, what are your thoughts about that? Do you follow what I'm saying? Okay. Well, we'll start. I, I heard you before I saw Austin, so I will. You will you yield the floor to? Okay, and then you you. Are are you a lawyer? Am I speaking to a? I'm trying to think in my. Psychologist. Oh, psychologist. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and notice how he sits back there in the corner of the class, and he sort of can scope everything out. You know. <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> Thank you, doctor. Okay. <laughs> the floor is yours. <laughs> so I believe that the Holy Spirit trains us up with skills that He can further work through us. Okay. Um, I am here because of an appeal. Praise the Lord. And it was appeal from Mark Finley way back in 1983. Amen. Series in Grand Rapids for six weeks. So the Holy Spirit is, has chosen, the Lord has chosen to work through these appeals, and you're here because of an appeal. You answered an appeal that Mark Finley gave in 83, 1983. Which I didn't follow through with at that time, but a seed was planted that never went away. Amen. And the Holy Spirit was always in the back of my mind for many years of drug abuse and alcoholism, hmm. and I, didn't, I wasn't ready to walk away from that life. Amen. But, I heard his, him but the seed was time. planted. And a few years, seven years later... I did sober up and Amen. got clean, and Amen. the Holy Spirit could really work in my life. Praise the Lord. Mark Finley. A Mark Finley appeal. On television, from the place where I studied archaeology in the Holy Land of Jordan, I never knew who he was. He came back to the United States finally to settle down. And I turned it off. I said, tell evangelists. <laughs> and I turned it on back quickly because I realized that that's the place where I every day read my notes for my theological studies. Mm. Mm. God needs spirit filled people. Yeah. <laughs> my son in law and my daughter invited me three months later because they were puzzled. Who shook me so much? because I turned it back on. And everything that I learned from archaeology went hand in hand. 
that's the end of the story. Three days, two miles south of my house, he was speaking for three days. Oh, and you went. Well, Mervyn, you're... Uh, I'll remember you, brother. Uh, let's go to Austin, who was first to raise his hand. Oh, and thank sorry, you. I that's fine. That, that's fine. Olga, no, no, no problem at all. Um, go ahead. His, uh, the Vaisher had a uh, presentation recently, I think it was last year or something. Mm -hmm. It really is this whole idea that, just like the feeding of the 5,000, when Christ also he rolled away, I mean, when he raised out from the dead, he had people work with him in concert. He didn't do all of it. He involved human beings in reaching other human beings as well. Mm -hmm. So the power again, angels could do it, so what he could commission angels to do all the work. But through our cooperation, we grow as a result. And Amen. we have an understanding of each other as well. He works through human beings to do so. And that is a blessing, Mervyn. Uh, and I want to say this, I was going to uh, call out the the pastors who've been sitting in this class, I know Ernie Toppenberg, but I don't see Ernie today. I sense that maybe there was another pastor here, but maybe he wasn't. But Mervyn uh, Shaw, uh, you were born in South Africa, and he's pastored there and here in the States as a retired minister, as I am, and uh, glad you're part of, the, part of the class. And he happens to be married to a wonderful Christian woman named Claire, who Patsy and I had the privilege of meeting in 1981. Uh, she's a dear friend of ours. And so anyway, with that introduction, thank you, Mervyn, and appreciate you being here. Please never forget the great controversy is not just the art in the universe. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna move closer to you, so here's the mic, you know. So it's the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that could just force everybody, but God doesn't work by force. God works by the rules of engagement of the great controversy. And He works by invitation. invitation. And that's why we need to pray for our children. Because when He works with them, and the devil says, that's not fair, He says, my children asked me. Mm -hmm. God, Amen. God is a gentleman. He operates by invitation. Amen. Thank you. I like that. God is a gentleman. He doesn't force his way into our lives. He works by these rules. Dan, is your hand up? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, for me it's simple. Jesus is asking you, sir, see, before I came to camp meeting, I prayed that God would lead me to a meeting that will strengthen my uh, faith and be able to be a better uh, Bible worker. Amen. Okay, and, and he led me here because he knows that I'm weak on appeals. Okay. And I was so glad when I first saw the, the very topic, you know, the oh, very yeah. topic. And in the, in the, when I came here, I oh, knew yeah. I was coming here. I knew he wanted me here. So thank you, Dan, for that testimony. I, I have been weak in appeals, I felt, as a pastor. Uh, and, and so I, I had a big interest in, in learning more. And so I took a class on it. it. Took four years, and it was really worth all the all the time and effort. Uh, that's really uh, beautiful. That God wants to involve us, engage us in His work. That He and the angels and the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit being the third member of the Godhead, of course. 
but the Godhead and the angels could finish the work. Uh, they, but they won't force people, but they have given us the ultimate privilege in our life to work along with heaven in bringing people to a decision for Christ. And that being the case, uh, it is very God is well pleased when we make the efforts toward becoming better communicators. And I, I'm still working toward that. I don't think that I've arrived. The Apostle Paul said, uh, not that I've already arrived, but I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I've still fallen short, but I'm glad the Lord is able to use me. Uh, it gives a great purpose to my life. And I'm so very grateful for that. <clears throat> and it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful privilege to, to be a Christian and to share in giving appeals. And these appeals that you're giving may be personal, uh, more one-to-one, -one, and it's very important in that way as well. Uh, two of the greatest appeals ever recorded in the Bible are found where in your Bible? Can you think of them right off? They're back-to-back -back in your Bible. Two great personal appeals. The greatest personal appeals, uh, I, th I think that were ever given, at least recorded in the Scripture, Jesus gave them, the book is John. I'm not going to tell you anything more. No, you take it from here. Two great personal appeals that Jesus gave. They're back to back in the Gospel of John. You know these things. Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. John 3.16 was spoken to Nicodemus and then John chapter 4, the woman at the well. So personal appeals, we can learn about those as well. Uh, even though more of our emphasis is on preaching appeals, nonetheless, the personal invitation, and as we mentioned yesterday, the work in the home is where the work in the pulpit is fulfilled. Uh, you're preaching... In, in the public pulpit at church or as a seminar presenter for Jesus on prophecy, wherever that may be, that's just the beginning. Uh, that work is concluded in home visitation most of the time. It may not be the home, but it could be, as the statement from Ellen White said that we shared yesterday as well, uh, it could be in the congregation. And... I'd, I'd never noticed that about this statement. I referred to it yesterday somewhat at length. I've read it many, many times. Uh, the pulpit work is finished in the home. I believe it was Evangelism, page 440 or 443. Read the whole book. It's good. <laughs> and um, But evangelism in the congregation is another step, not just the home visit. Okay, let's look at our material. It is not the appeal, but the person of the Holy Spirit working through the appeal. It says it makes it appealing to the heart of the hearer. Our God pursues the loss through the power of the invitation. It is the strategic offense of heaven itself. Dr. King wrote that a sermon should be a convincing appeal to a listening congregation 
An appeal should be convincing. That's the word there. It should be convincing. Now, there's three styles to rhetoric. Rhetoric is public speaking. It used to be that public speaking and the giving of your presentation was one of the most important of all educational tools. I don't think that it's given that kind of credit any longer, but if a person can speak well, they're usually well thought of and their credibility increases. So the three pillars of exceptional communication, it begins really with ethos, which is trust. Ethos refers to your credibility and and your credibility is the change you have in your pocket, the money you have in your pocket, so that when you're giving your presentation, people are willing to listen to you. Uh, they have to like you before they'll listen very much. If they dislike you, or if they sense that morally or for whatever reason, you don't have credibility to speak to them, they will turn you off and they won't come back. Ask yourself, am I using the right tone? This is on the slide here. Speech rate, word choice, and communication method to demonstrate to others that I am trustworthy. So ethos is trust, and people must have that before they can get anywhere. Logos, or logic, is your rational reasons why people should believe what you have to tell them. Uh, why is it so important? You have to have something to say. Not only must you have the credibility to say it, but you must have something worthwhile to say. And if you don't, your ethos is going to go down. If they, if they believe that, well, this person seems to be credible enough, but he didn't have anything to say, then that your credibility is shot. So Logos refers to how reasonable, rational, and logical the other person finds your position, request, argument, your sermon, if you please. Pathos is emotion. In the book of Jeremiah, we studied briefly that God is very emotional. He chose an emotional man to give the message. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And in chapter 2 and elsewhere in Jeremiah, we find a God who is touched with loneliness. He said, I remember your love, the love of your youth. And so that appeal touches us we may remember the love of our youth. And sometimes, unfortunately, the love story turns in a most unfortunate way. And there are people in life that find themselves lonely. And God was lonely before we were. God is a God who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So the pathos, the passion that we include within our appeals 
is very crucial to reaching the heart. Now, logos, or logic, will reach the mind and will make sense, and people may be convinced, but it may not do anything for their desire. It may not, it may not reach the point of conviction because the pathos, somehow the heart, it hasn't reached there. It hasn't reached to the depths of a person. Sometimes the Bible writers talked about the bowels, the bowels of mercy, and you just you can feel the text. You know, you're, it's like you're gurgling inside, but the in your gut, you know, I have to do this. In your heart, you you believe now, not just from your head, but. You have a passion. You sense the passion of the presenter. Hey, this really, this is important. This can change my life. I can be a better person. Not just a better person, but I can be transformed from my very innermost being. I can, I can be different now. I can overcome the sins. And the past that has whipped me and made me feel guilty and just been the downer of my life, it can be in the past. God can transform me. I can be new. I'm going to accept what this man said because I believe he believes it. And I believe the Bible taught it. And I believe the same message can change me. That's pathos. You have to have passion in what you present or it weakens your point of logic. Why should they believe just what's in the head? They might say, I have something in my head. And get back to what I said, never say, my personal opinion. Because they have their personal opinions. They want something more than just a trade-off, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Nice guy, interesting presentation, but that was his opinion. If it's no higher than your opinion, you see, you don't have a lot of, you don't have a lot of ethos, a lot of credibility. You're a rational guy, or you're trying to be. But when you can say from your gut, with a passion, I believe, and with the credibility of the logic of the Bible, I believe God's word declares, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe you believe that too. You can believe that. You can make that your choice today. And you can inspire people because there's very little that inspires people anymore. People go to drink, they go to lust, they go to sports, they go to other things in life to inspire them. Very little inspires. And what little the world inspires us with is soon gone. It disappears like a mirage. It's not satisfying. It doesn't fulfill the innermost need of the heart. So, do you have any questions about the three pillars of exceptional communication. Do we need all three?
Yes. For instance, you want and I want to give a good appeal, the appeal that reaches the heart. But what if you totally ignore the sermon itself, the, the nuts and bolts of the sermon, and you just decide to go up there and wing it? What's that going to do? What will that do for your ethos? What will that do for the people that are there? He presented a good appeal, but I have no idea what it means. I have no I mean, idea what he's calling me to do. That can be a problem. And you can also have a wonderful logical appeal, or not appeal, but sermon, the, the bedrock, the flower. You know, most of the content of a cookie is the flower. But if you have no appeal at the end, it's very unsatisfying. I want some chocolate chips in there somewhere. I want some peanut butter in there somewhere. I want a little bit of sugar, a little bit of sweet, a little bit of honey in that cookie, or I will never come back to that again. <laughs> One time we went to a home, and I, I believe in health reform, and I praise God for health reform, and I won't say when or where or why, but there we were with some friends, some dear friends, and they made some gems. They were called gems. And we ate those, and you know, believe it, I can eat just about anything as long as it's healthful. As long as it's healthful. And I rather enjoyed them, but you know, to my memory, in the last nearly four decades since that experience, we have never in our house ever had another gem. Why? It was, it made so much healthful sense, but there was nothing really sweet to it. And when God let the manna fall, it was like coriander seed made with, there was some honey taste to it too. Amen? There has to be some sweet to our sermons. There has to be an appeal story at the beginning, by the way. Begin your sermon if you're in an evangelistic context. And I would suggest if you're preaching on a Sabbath morning, begin with a story that opens up the way for the logical sequence to develop, and then you close with a story that reaches their hearts again. Does that make sense? You open with something of an appeal, uh, because stories are appealing, and we, we use the term appeal, but the term appeal, should the experience of that appeal should be appealing. Amen? Okay, let's go on. So, St. Augustine, and I was interested that interested to note that yesterday, uh, Elder Sliger used a story from the Spirit of Prophecy in regard to Augustine and how his mother prayed for this rebellious youth who was living out there in the world a very immoral, decadent, drunken lifestyle. The same Augustine you've heard of who was the great theologian of the early 5th century. This man was a wayward boy. He was a prodigal, but he had a very consecrated praying mother. And Ellen White took note of that. And uh, it's very interesting to me. And... Uh, 
I believe I would go along with what the preacher said, that in the kingdom, we'll see that praying mother, and she took special note to mention whose mother she was. It well could be that we'll see Augustine in the kingdom as well. God has used people through the years and praying praise you up for your message. Praying changes your heart so that you have, you have a feeling, you have a heart to give to, give to people. Uh, maybe you've prayed and, and you've been under terror from God, as it were, that I'm not worthy to give this message. And you, you're battling it out with God during the week. You sense that God wants you to preach about that, but you don't even, you feel like the least of all people to, to share that. What qualifies me to do this? But in prayer, you're battling that out with God. William Miller, no, Lord, I've been studying this for 13 years about the 2,300 days, but are you kidding me? I don't have any intention to go out there and tell anybody about it in a sermon. He was battling that out with God. By the time he got through, he was convinced God wanted him to do that. And he did. Um, Billy Graham, a little shy 16, 17-year-old kid. Well, he wasn't so little. He was always tall. Billy was about six foot three. Loved basketball, much like our evangelist Mark Finley. Basketball players, a youth, you know, and he senses that God wants him to preach. I mean, he could hardly get up and say anything. In eighth grade, of course, I was quite young. I was under a conviction even then that the Lord was calling me to be a pastor, that he wanted me to preach. But during our eighth grade graduation at the Lansing Church School, I was a new Adventist yet, and they wanted me to give the tribute for parents. And so we wrote it down, and I memorized it, and I had the notes. And I remember yet, like it was yesterday, I put those notes for my tribute to the parents of eighth grade graduation in my suit coat pocket where I wouldn't lose them. And so my turn came and I had this thing memorized and I had it in notes. And I thought for backup, I'll just reach into my pocket and I will take out my mini sermon, so to speak. I will put it on the desk in front of me and I will speak from memory, but just in case I have my notes. I fumbled into my pocket. It wasn't there. I fumbled into the other suit coat pocket, inside pocket. It wasn't there. I tried the outside pockets. They were not, it was not there. I tried my pants pockets. So here's this eighth grade kid. He's 14 years old. And Dan is reaching everywhere he knows to reach. I, to this day, don't know what happened to those notes, but I couldn't find them. And I got up there and all my memory went blank. All I could say was this, we tribute our parents. <laughs> that was it. The sum total of what I had to say. I mean, I was nearly petrified. God qualifies the unqualified. Amen? Amen. He gives you a message. He puts it in your heart. You can't help. But I, I just, the Lord kept calling me to the ministry anyway, even though I messed up royally the tribute to parents it was really a great tribute if i could have ever found those notes maybe someone else found them in the next year they used it for their graduation so augustine we we're on him 
After all, the universal task of eloquence, this is his words, in, wh in whichever of these three styles, we're talking about those styles, is to speak in a way that is geared to what? Persuasion. Persuasion. As a giver of a sermon or a Bible study, a personal conversation about the Lord, you want to gear your, your address toward persuasion. The aim, what you intend, is to persuade by speaking in any of these three styles. So it's not just the ethos, your credibility. It's not just the logic, the bedrock, the, the nuts and bolts of your message that you, uh, it, it, you want the eloquence of persuasion in those as well as the pathos, the, the appeals. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, the intent, the intent, the aim, what you intend is to persuade by speaking. In Testimonies, Volume 6, Ellen White said, it is the Holy Spirit that makes the truth impressive. Keep practical truth ever before the people. And it seems like in, that, in those two sentences, even though it's the Holy Spirit who makes the truth impressive, she's saying to us, very practical, she's very practical, make the truth, that's practical truth, keep it ever before the people. In Gospel Workers 151, no one can tell what is lost by attempting to preach without the unction of the Holy Spirit. Don't even attempt to preach if you don't have the unction of the Holy Spirit. If you have the unction of the Holy Spirit, He makes up for our weak efforts. He makes up for our strong efforts. You know, He just makes up for us. He's willing to work and through us if we're willing. In every congregation, this is amazing, in every congregation, there are souls who are hesitating almost decided to be holy for God. Decisions are being made, but too often the minister has not the spirit and power of the message, and no direct appeals are made to those who are trembling in the balance. They're in every congregation. Getting back to what I hope will, that you'll take to heart, I believe that if in every single sermon that we preach, we would take time to have an appeal and make an appeal for salvation, I think that that would always be apt. But there may also be a need in that sermon for them to accept a unique Bible truth that we believe as Seventh-day Adventists. There may be a need for someone, for you to make an appeal that reaches the heart. And you can say something like this, I believe there's someone in the congregation this week, you have to make it general enough, uh, but you've had a hard week. Things have not gone well for you. They did not go as planned. And maybe this week, you felt deep within your heart that God had even deserted you when others did, or the work that you, had, uh, that you were supposed to do, you did not accomplish Maybe someone has blamed you for something that it was not your fault. Maybe you're struggling with some bitterness as we've come this Sabbath morning. But right now, God is speaking to your heart. And the Holy Spirit is saying, Dan, give it up. I've got you covered. 
I haven't deserted you. Your God still loves you. If, if in the appeal this morning you would like to, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, just lift your hand toward heaven and say, Lord, I'm lifting my hand up to you right now, believing by faith that you will carry me through. Sometimes people need to reconnect with God. And appeals can, can reach their heart. They, they lift up their hand. They stand as a congregation, whatever the appeal may be. And they can leave the church that morning knowing they've decided for Jesus. And that the past, that week that was so bad, when they got yelled at at work, it doesn't matter anymore. They can release that bitterness they had toward their spouse, whatever the case might be. Appeals need to be made. And if one appeal was answered in every church every week of this year in the Michigan Conference, there would be at least 9,568 new decisions for Christ. And some of those decisions would be, I want to join this church. Many of those decisions would be, I'm rededicating my life to Christ. Many would be, I'm giving my heart to Jesus. I want to know more about this church. I want to go all the way with Jesus. I would like to be baptized. And little by little, if we made appeals every week, then more decisions would be made and more people's lives would be transformed. You know, I have heard so many wonderful sermons. I have given probably a few wonderful sermons myself, but I have sat down too soon at times. Maybe I'm fighting the clock. Maybe it's getting toward 12 o'clock. Maybe it's 12.15. And the sermon is going so well, but I have not taken time to write down an appeal, and I've not made that a priority. And I sit down, and I would say this. Probably most of those sermons would be forgotten. What they're going to remember is, I made a decision for Jesus. They may not remember the wonderful sermon, but if they made a decision for Christ, they'll never forget that. They'll never forget that. I don't know what the evangelist was even saying the night I chose to go forward. But I have remembered that impression and have never forgotten what transpired. The choir, someone was up there singing. It had been a message that touched my heart. It was an appeal to come forward. This was an altar call. And the pastor of the Lansing Church came and sat down next to a non-Adventist kid, me. And he invited me to go forward with him. And he sensed that I was too shy to get up and go forward on my own. I walked up there with a pastor. And I gave my heart to Christ. And I, I decided I would be baptized. And I was. And within that next year, the Lord had convicted me that He wanted me to be a preacher. We need more preachers in this church. And my son-in-law, Michael, thank you for joining us. He's a pastor at Campion Academy. He was sharing with me that the North American Division needs more young men uh, to, to be preachers. And... I was thinking, why is that? And I think maybe we need more evangelists or we need more appeals preached in church because from the moment I accepted Christ and accepted this message, He began working on my heart 
And if it wasn't for that evangelistic service that Eldon Walter was preaching at, uh, I may never have wanted to be a pastor, but he used that to move my heart to be an evangelist. Even though I couldn't give a tribute to parents. Amen? So, we lose by neglecting this. This is evangelism, page 285. If you will seek the Lord, if you will seek the Lord, putting away all evil speaking and all selfishness and continuing instant in prayer, the Lord will draw nigh to you. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that gives efficacy to your efforts and to your appeals. Humble yourselves before God that in His strength you may rise to a higher level. As we humble ourselves before God, we rise to a higher level. I love this word about the Holy Spirit. It's found in John 3, verse 8. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of John, please. We'll read from that passage, and also we'll go to chapter 6, and we'll read verse 63. These are both... uh, The words of Christ, of course, John 3 is in the context of his interview, his personal interview with Nicodemus. And I believe the words are just as true today as they were when Nicodemus first heard them. John 3, verse 8. Just because of the sake of the recording, I'm going to go ahead and read that. I'd love for you to read along with Maybe we could all read that together. Let's read it together out loud. Um... And maybe I should be looking at a King James Version. I have the New American Standard Bible. Yeah. I think I have it memorized, but I don't want to take any chances. We want to have a choir that really works together, right? John 3, verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit is in control. The wind is in control. But we just have to learn to set the what? The sail. We're working in harmony with the Spirit of God, and we just have to be willing to set the sail. Have you ever sailed? I've done a little bit of it. Probably some of you just... Did you raise? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No no wonder you live in Holland. Yeah. Okay. So the water and the wind and it just, you know, just is part of your life. So you're out there and the wind is blowing. You have to learn how to set the sail, right? And when you have those two working together, it is a powerful force. And I love that about the Spirit too because I like to think, I know God is a gentleman. I believe that with all my heart. I appreciate the, the depth of that statement. I also believe that God has a wild side. I do. I believe that there's a wildness as well as a wideness in God's mercy and you know, he is wild for the truth. He, is, he, he has a depth of character uh, 
And if he chooses to blow his Holy Spirit over your direction, are you going to be able? Are you going to be, are you going to sense that? Are you going to be trusting enough to let God take you to where he wants you to be? He'll take you to places that you never thought you could go. But God's wind is in very, very uh, sometimes we think it's a wild ride. It can be serving the Lord. Let's go to John 6 and verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So it's important to implement persuasive <laughs> preaching. There. I don't know who they were listening to, but they don't look very persuaded. <laughs> Preaching is the spoken communication of divine truth with a view to persuasion. We persuade men, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. Uh, Dr. George Campbell was right when he said, I acknowledge that the whole of preaching, either directly or indirectly, points to persuasion. Every person is probably convinced by logic and reason of a number of items upon which he does not act. Man is an emotional being as well as a creature of reason. People are moved by psychological drives or their basic motives of conduct rather than by reason alone. In fact, a person's emotions seems to race ahead of his reason when his will moves into decision and action. Or reduced to simplest terms, it is we know we feel, we act. It goes beyond knowing. A lot of people know to do right, but there, there's no will there. There's no feeling. There's no action. We know, we feel. That has to be part of it. Nothing, never apologize for having an emotional appeal. Never apologize that maybe what you said in church, it reached the heart. Sometimes it will reach their heart, and you know it did because they laugh. Other times you'll know that you reached their heart because someone cried. There's nothing wrong with reaching the heart both ways in the same sermon. Maybe someone's going to weep. Maybe someone's going to cry. But those are the people who will probably make a decision for Christ. Instead of logos and pathos, Aristotle chose instead ethos. As important as everything else is, you have to have a character. And you have to have a moral standing. And you have to be willing to be fully committed to Christ. Evangelism, again, page 299, the inward work ministry of the Holy Spirit is our great need. The Spirit is all divine in His agency and demonstration. You can go forth in faith believing that the Holy Spirit accompanies you. You don't need to doubt that. You can go forward in faith believing and knowing that the Holy Spirit is accompanying you in your efforts. And this here from Spurgeon, I thought that it was quite eloquent. Uh, you know, uh, Spurgeon was a great preacher of the 19th century. He said, I shall not attempt to teach a tiger the benefits of vegetarianism. Who would think of that? But I shall as hopefully attempt that task as I would try to convince an unregenerate man of the truth revealed by God concerning sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Only 
Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, can open blind eyes and deaf ears, make the lame walk, and the dumb speak, prick the conscience, enlighten the mind, fire the mind, move the will, give life to the dead, and rescue slaves from satanic, satanic bondage. Uh, John Stott, in his book, Between Two Worlds, only Jesus can move that heart. Only Christ can enlighten the mind, fire the mind, move the will, give life to the dead, and rescue slaves from that bondage of the devil himself. And here's words from Steps to Christ. Apart from Jesus, you have no life. You have no power to resist temptation or to grow in grace and holiness. Abiding in Christ, you may flourish. Drawing your life from him, you will not wither nor be fruitless. Steps to Christ, page 69. We're told that God's people will have gone through the great tribulation and they will prove faithful to God to the very, very end. They will wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Would you wish within your heart this evening to have your robes washed clean and made white in the blood of the Lamb? Amen. We're naturally quite dirty. Our children are evidence of that. Looking back on my childhood, I can tell you of many ripped out jeans. My jeans were always getting ripped in the, in the knee. My knees were getting scuffed up. My clothes were getting grass stained. And it didn't matter if they had been washed. I kept on doing the same thing to my clothes. My mom would mend my knees. She would put patches on my clothes. And those patched up clothes would still get... So the knees were ripped out and the knees were grass stained. And I liked getting in the mud and my clothes were a mess. And spiritually speaking, I have been in many different phases of a messed up life from time to time. But here is the promise that there is a people who will be covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They'll be covered with his blood and those old stains and those ripped up areas of their life are going to be mended. They're going to be healed. The brokenhearted are going to be freed from their captivity. And the Lord is going to have them serving in his temple night and day in their kingdom. Tonight, as we conclude our sermon on baptism, I want to invite you to consider as the music is playing, just as I am, or I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. And then, before I pray, you can't, they'll cut me off if I, you know. So, you could have a prayer, and then you could either go one way or the other. You could invite people to quietly come forward with their card that they have checked. You could have the elders of your church ready to come forward at the time of the altar call. So when people come forward, if it's only one, they're not the only one up front. You can invite the elders to come up. They can receive the people as they bring their card of decision. They can go right back to their seats.
or you can have them quietly wait right there as you close with another short word of prayer. And uh, that's, a, that's another kind of appeal that you can have. I have used also this appeal. Uh, baptism teaches us about the sanctity of human life. Jesus, Jesus considered baptism an issue of eternal life. Mark chapter 16, 16 says, the one who repents and is baptized shall be saved. And I believe with all my heart tonight, there are people here having heard the messages throughout this series of meetings that believe within your heart the message, but you still seek that new life. It's beyond just the message and the head knowledge. God wants to reach our hearts tonight. And I can remember when I made my decision for Christ. And you can bring out your personal story. It will, it will dovetail into the, into the stories of the other people that you're sharing your conviction with. Um, and then you can say, in the first birth, we are born out of water. In the second birth, we are born out of water as well. And I remember being in Bistritza, Romania, and as a baptistry was being filled with water, my translator said, get up and look. He kept on saying, get up and look. The same young man who had lived a very wayward life. And so I got up finally and I looked and they were filling the baptistry with water. And as they filled that baptistry with, with warm water from the buckets, he said, they're down there. And I said, what? what's down there? He says, they're down there. And I looked again and I looked into that baptistry. And he said, they're down there. And I finally said, what, are, what is it? What is down there? And he says, my sins. He says, when you were here before, I only came four times, but I could never forget what you said. He said, I was baptized in this baptistry and my sins went down there. Your sins can go down the drain through baptism into Christ Jesus. You can have a new life tonight. I invite you to make that decision. You can, you can go a number of ways that the Spirit guides you, but I would um, actually, in my, in my appeals on location, I have gone to the point where I, I somewhat I, I memorize it ahead of time. I write it out, and I'll even read it if I need to because I think it's that important. So don't worry about reading that part of your sermon. As long as it comes from your heart, review it. Take time for it. Make sure that you bring people to a point where they can respond. Otherwise, you've cheated them. Okay, well, let's have prayer as we close. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that we could be here today. You have appealed to our hearts to give appealing appeals through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father in heaven, that you would set us on a course of action where we can work with you setting the sail to the winds of the Holy Spirit. May you bless us with many souls for our labor. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.